Good morning, church family. I was watching y'all walk up to the church today, and everybody looked great. Uh, and my family and I have had a busy week, and I'm wearing a One Kingdom shirt to show my solidarity with some of the guys who went out and sacrificed their week uh, or weekend to be with those men and women affected by uh, the hurricane in Houston. And, and my, my bride is out of town. Her grandfather had to be rushed to the hospital for emergency open-heart surgery. And um, she took off on Thursday. He's better now. Uh, he's recovering. So I've been flying solo in my home with three kids under age nine for like 72 hours. So when I got up this morning at six, we barely made it to church. When Kirsten saw him, I get up about eight, we're to church 15 minutes early. You do the math on that. And so I had a special appreciation for all of you this morning. Man, everybody getting up, getting dressed, looking nice, uh, all out of devotion for the Lord. Man, I appreciated that. I really did. There are so many other places you could be right now. There's so many other ways you could be spending your time this morning. And it blesses me that you put effort into being in God's house and worshiping God together with me today. So I'm going to be skipping around in Scripture. I'm going to be talking about our next two values, marriage and families and glorifying God. We are still in our sermon series uh, called Life Committed. And we want you, as, as men and women who are members of, of WFR Church or who are regular attenders and considering membership, to be moved... To living a life intentionally committed to the values of this church, which are based on Scripture. And I'm going to talk to you briefly a little bit to start this sermon out about purpose. You've probably heard about this rich young man who's got an aging mother and wants to purchase her a birthday gift that will put every other birthday gift ever given to a parent in the history of the world to shame. And he hears about this bird who can say over 4,000 different words and sing operatic songs and speak in three languages. And his aging mother lives alone. And he thinks, this is the perfect gift. No one's ever been given a gift like this ever before. He starts shopping for prices. He finds this bird is $100,000. But nothing's too good for his mom. Can I get an amen, gentlemen? Where y'all at? And if my mom's watching, I would do this for you, mom, someday if I won the lottery or something, right? Uh, he purchases the bird he sends it to his mother. Uh, he waits a couple of days and he calls her and he's like, Mom, happy birthday. I sent you the bird. How have you liked it? And she said, Son, that was the most delicious bird I have ever eaten in my life. Ladies and gentlemen, purpose is really important. All right. Purpose is extremely important. And if we're going to live the way God intended for us to live, we know the purpose for, we need to know the purpose for which we have been created. So I'm going to go to Isaiah chapter 43 and I want to read to you verse 7. And I want to, I want to help clarify for you this morning what your purpose is in life. 
And in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 7, the Bible says this. I'm kind of paraphrasing uh, this verse a little bit to speed up the sermon. But the Bible says this. Everyone I created for my glory. Every single person under the sound of my voice, those of you who are watching online, everybody you're going to talk to this week, those kids you're raising who are up in our Bible classes this morning, every person on earth was created for a purpose. And the purpose for which each individual on planet earth has been created is for the glory of God. You were created for God's glory. And just like the mom who ate the bird and didn't uh, behave based on the purpose for which the gift was given, your life is simply not going to make sense if you're not aware of the purpose for which you've been designed. So many of us across the face of the earth, this isn't a problem uh, unique to northeast Louisiana or the state of Louisiana or the country of the United States of America. This is a universal problem. Every, every person on planet earth is looking for their purpose. And if you look for your purpose anywhere other than the God who created you for his glory, you are simply not going to find your purpose. And a man without a purpose is like a human being that's not fully alive. A man without a purpose is like a human being that's not fully alive. In other words, you can be living a life and not really living. You can be living a life and not really living. A couple of uh, biblical scholars over the course of time have, have really given this some thought. St. Irenaeus, all right, from about the 400s A.D., put it like this. The glory of God, some of you might have heard this, is man fully alive. The glory of God is man fully alive. And if you want to really have life and have it abundantly and have a life that feels purposeful and passionate and strong, even in the middle of struggle, what you'll do over the course of your life is understand the nature of your purpose and live that out in your day-to-day life. A a, a few centuries later, more than just a few, there's a guy named John Piper who kind of took this thought, the glory of God is man fully alive, and he finished the thought, and he says it like this. Because if if you're like me, I'm wondering, well, what what specifically does being fully alive really mean, and how does that all tie into glorifying God? John Piper put it like this, God is most glorified in us, so that kind of answers this glory of God question, what does it mean to really glorify God? God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. I think a man fully alive is a man completely satisfied by God. A man fully alive is a man completely satisfied by God. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, one of the wisest men in the history of the world, one of the richest men in the history of the world, and one of the craziest men in the history of the world. He had over a hundred wives, okay? Uh, but I guarantee you he could get up at 8.30 and make it to church by 9 o'clock, all right? He wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, meaningless 
meaningless. Everything under the sun is meaningless. And this is a guy who had everything. Everything that the world can offer, this individual had achieved it. Money, fame, uh, popularity, uh, relationships, respect. You name it, this is a guy that had it. And he says in everything he's done under the sun... Every place he's looked, every relationship he's had, every dollar he's made and dollar he's spent and material possession he's gained, every single thing is meaningless. I want you, if you're taking notes, to write down the name David Foster Wallace. And you need to be an adult because there's some complex ideas and some choice language in this speech. But David Foster Wallace gave a commencement address at Kenyon College in 2004. And the speech is called, This is Water. David Foster Wallace was a really learned author who won a lot of uh, literary awards for his writing and ended up taking his own life later in life. And when he gave this commencement address at Kenyon uh, University uh, in 2004 that he called, This is Water. I I said that again because I want you to write it down and check it out. He says this about his quest To find satisfaction in life. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough. You'll never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you'll always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you'll die a million deaths before they finally plant you. On one yet, we know all this stuff already. It's been codified in Proverbs and epigrams and parables, the skeleton of every great story. The trick is keeping the truth up front in your daily consciousness. You worship power and you'll feel weak and afraid. And you'll need ever more power over others to keep your own fear at bay. Worship your intellect being seen as smart and you'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on and so on. Anything you look to under the sun to satisfy you will only leave you hungrier than you were before. If we change our context a little bit from David Foster Wallace to a man by the name of Paul, who most of the New Testament, if we turn to the book of Colossians chapter 2 and verse 10, he gives us a secret here, and I'm going to go to First Peter in just a second, but... In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 10, the Apostle Paul, after he's done everything he's, he's done, academic fame, popularity, uh, well-respected in, in, in his circles, he says, I found completeness in Jesus Christ, who's at the head of all principality and power. That's Colossians chapter 2 and verse 10. You can find what you're looking for in Jesus Christ, and it's not until you find him that everything you're looking for will be revealed to you. This is what Jesus Christ himself says in John chapter 15. These words I have spoken to you, verse 11, so that my joy might remain in you and your joy might be complete. What you're looking for in life, you can only find in Jesus Christ. And once you find what you're looking for in Jesus Christ, 
You're going to be satisfied in Him. You're going to seek to be around Him. You're going to long to live the kind of life He lived. You're going to long to love the way He loved. And the more satisfaction you find in Him, the more joy you find in Him, the more completeness you find in Him, the more glorified He is in your life. That's where satisfaction is found, and that's how we glorify God. To those of us who have found that, uh, Peter calls us a chosen people and a royal priesthood. A holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. If we skip forward to verse 12, he gives us a purpose behind that. Live such good lives among the pagan people. That though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds. And what are these people going to do eventually? Man, they're eventually going to start glorifying God. They're going to find satisfaction in God. They're going to find completeness in God. They're going to find joy in God. Because nothing they can throw at you stops you in your tracks. I like this uh, section of, of Peter because he doesn't say, preach preach such good sermons among the pagans that all these guys turn and start glorifying God. Because I know I've preached some bad sermons and that would really be tough for me if I thought every sermon had to be a home run, right? You guys are too kind to go, well, yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> and notice he didn't also say you've got to have a terminal degree in a theologically related field for these pagan people around you to turn and start glorifying God. You don't have to have a, a decade of drug and alcohol abuse in your past. For those people around you to see the fact that you're completely satisfied in God and to challenge them to turn. You don't have to know what to say. You don't have to have some nasty past. And you don't have to have been perfect all your life either. All you have to do is know where complete and total satisfaction comes from. And it comes from God. And then you've got to let Him completely and totally satisfy you. Here's a statement I want you to make that I I hope you'll write down. When you know who you are... A person who's been designed to glorify God. And you know whose you are. A chosen generation and a a royal priesthood. Because you've decided to find satisfaction in the God who created you for His glory. Then life makes sense. Life makes sense. And, and, And ladies and gentlemen, we live in a culture where sense is a precious commodity. Can I get a witness right there, somebody? Come on, where y'all at this morning? Okay, two people that you seem like you're actually living in the culture that I'm also living in. We live in a culture where sense is a precious commodity, where we can't even wake up and decide what gender we are or what race we are or what age we are. When we know who we are and whose we are, life makes sense. And if that's true, then the answer to our cultural problems is not a political one. That's important, but that's not where the answer is found. It's also not a financial one. That's important, but that's not where the answer is found. It's not in a relational one. It's not in a social one. It's in a spiritual one. And sometimes I think in in our lives, uh, and I know a lot about this, as far as our purpose is concerned... Our eyes can be a lot bigger than our stomachs. Can I get an amen? As far as our purpose is concerned, our eyes can be a lot bigger than our stomachs. Let me give you another scripture here. This is 
1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, the Apostle Paul says this, Whatever you're doing, whether you're eating and drinking or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, when I, when I surrender to Jesus Christ and I become satisfied in Him, the next thing I want to do that you want to do is I want to become the next Savior of the world. Right? I want to memorize the whole New Testament. I want to save everybody on my block and then in my state. And I want to do the biggest church that the planet has ever seen where bajillions and quintillions of people are surrendering their lives every day. And it's like, man, I know what my purpose is. It's to be the guy. My eyes oftentimes, as far as that's concerned, are bigger than than my stomach. And they're bigger than the life God is calling me actually actually to live. As, As I grow and I mature... What, what I'm finding out is that, is that my really calling to influence people gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. It's like, uh, my, and, and this is why I really like combining the two values that we're talking about. The first and most important ministry in your life is your family. That's the first and most important ministry in your life is your family. But, but so often my eyes get big, man, just like yours. And I'm not thinking of my three kids that i got to get up at 6 a.m. for to be one minute late to church by 9 o'clock. Man, I'm thinking on the global scale. Who can see my preaching? You know, who can read the book I'm going to write, which will be a New York Times bestseller. And then I'll donate all the money to charity that then, uh, you know, goes out and evangelizes every impoverished community on the planet and solves world peace and hunger all at the same time. You know, and God's just calling you and me. Here's what he's calling us to do for real. He's calling us right now in this moment to do whatever it is we're doing to his glory. And like I've already shared with you, what that means is do what you're doing in a way that helps you find more satisfaction in him. That's the catch. That's the catch. Do what you're doing in a way that draws you into feeling more satisfied in God. In other words, you you do need to take care to do things right. You do need to do things right, but you also need to do the right things. And so whatever it is that you find yourself doing, whether you're a physician's assistant at an orthopedist office, right? Or you're a cook, or you're an accountant, or you're a personal trainer, or you're in ministry, or you're a business owner, or wherever it is that you find yourself in the continuum, whatever you're doing at that place, do it in such a way that you become more satisfied in the God who created you for His glory. That's the secret. Where does that start? It starts in your family. I want to give you a couple of ways... That I feel like you can really glorify God in your family. So I'm shifting a gear here. And I think these are basically universal. So some of you would say, uh, Trent, I'm a single parent and I don't have custody of my kids. How can I glorify God in my family? This is your forever family. Find ways of glorifying God in the community of people who are sitting in this room with you. Okay. Maybe you're a young person and you've never been married and your family lives out of town or you're... you're um, Whatever your context is, I think these are pretty much universal truths. And I think I'm going to talk also not necessarily about family of blood, but family of choice. Those people you have immersed yourself within their community with and and those people that you are doing life with. All right. And so the first thing I want to say is that your family is your first priority. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 31, the Bible says this. 
For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. What's the most important relationship in your life from the time you're born until the time you're married? I'll tell you what it's supposed to be. It doesn't always turn out this way, but God's designed it to be your relationship with your parents. That's your most important relational priority, is to honor your father and mother. But something happens when two people get married. God says, your relationship's priorities change. And now your priority is not necessarily to honor your father and mother. It's to cleave to the person that you're married to and put them as a priority in your life. Put them as a priority above work. Put them as a priority above friends. Put them as a priority above hobbies. Put them as a priority above interests. And make sure that that individual knows that you value them above everything else on this earth. Obviously, if we're going to glorify God, we're going to find our satisfaction where? In Him. But we have, to, we have to honor our spouse and put them as a first priority above everything else in life. Now, I'm being careful the way I'm teaching this because what sometimes can happen is I put my spouse above God and try to find satisfaction and complete joy in my spouse, which elevates them to the position of God. And I hate to tell you this, ladies, and I hate to tell you this, gentlemen, the person you married is not the second incarnation of Jesus Christ. Does that surprise any of y'all? Everybody's like, oh man, I've known that since the second day. Okay? So if you put somebody who is a flawed human being in the place that God is supposed to occupy in your life, you are setting yourself up for failure. So you've got to follow the first rule. You've got to find complete satisfaction in God, which is what glorifies Him most in our life. And then you've got to find a priority in your spouse. Okay? You have to, that's your first and most important priority on this earth. Second thing I want to mention to you is that your family is your most important ministry. This is, I, I want to give you a scripture from 1 Timothy chapter 3. Your family is your most important manager, uh, ministry. <laughs> that was what we call a Freudian slip in psychotherapy. I don't know if you could hear it, but I said your family is your most important manager, right? Uh, your family is your most important ministry, okay? First Timothy chapter 3 through 5, the Apostle Paul, same guy who says you're going to find completeness in Christ, Colossians 2.10, right? He's telling a young man in ministry this about people who are equipped to lead churches. He says, if anybody doesn't know how to, his own, how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? And if your family is supposed to be more important than your ministry, then your kids and your forever family are supposed to come before your career, your hobbies, your interests, your activities, and your friendships. And it's so easy to use those kinds of things as excuses to get away from the responsibility that your, that your family is. Okay. And, and that qualifies for your forever family of choice and your family of blood. I had to get up at six o'clock in the morning to get my kids ready for church at nine o'clock. That's a lot of effort. That, that does, it requires a lot of effort. I'm up at six. I got to get me ready. I felt like my wife this morning. I got to do my hair. Got to put on my clothes up before everybody else is up. And then I got to get the kids up. And then I got to cook. And I got to take out the trash. I got to pay bills, balance the checkbook, and go take care of the neighbor all in about 45 minutes. And I hope my wife is watching because I've learned a lot more about the effort she really puts in in her absence. Um, Families require a lot of effort. 
They do. Kids are emotional energy vacuums. I describe that to families I get to work with all the time. They don't even have to be in your presence to be sucking your emotional energy. Right? It's like, man, I can send my kids to school and I'm worried about them all day. Can I get a witness there, somebody? I dropped them off Friday at a great school. I trust everybody that's there. And I felt all day like I had forgotten something. And I'm looking at my phone thinking, man, any time the school is going to call me and say, hey, you know, Judah forgot his notebook or Adrian doesn't have a lunch or something crazy. Just because that's the nature of families. God designed families. This is a quote by Gary Thomas that I want to give you guys. God designed families not for your happiness but for your holiness. God put you in this church not because it's a perfect church. But because without you, the church couldn't take that next step closer to being the church God designed it to be. God puts you in your family not because your family is the perfect family. But so through your influence, as you find complete and total satisfaction in Him, that your family could take that next step and be in the family that God designed it to be. And He never said it would be easy. I've never found that in anything I've ever read. Ever. But what he did say is if you'll find complete and total satisfaction on him, in him, he'll take care of everything else. That's Psalm 37 and verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll grant you the desires of your heart. So wherever you're at in your family, it may be some struggle. It may be some season of, of hurricane force winds. It may be some uncertainty no matter where you're at. If you'll find satisfaction in the Lord, God will take care of the rest. The next thing is the fa- that family is your responsibility. I thought this would be appropriate because we're starting community groups. First, I want to tell all of you community group people, find satisfaction in the Lord, not in others, right? People are going to come to your house. They're going to destroy it. Uh, the next thing is those other people that are coming to your house to destroy it, they're your, they're your family. So put forth some effort and take care of those people, all right? And then all y'all other people with kids running around all crazy, those kids are your responsibility, right? Not somebody else's. <laughs> Bible says this, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8, I'm just about done. If anyone doesn't provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. In other words, you've got to do whatever you can to make sure you're taking care of your family. Now, this is in the context of financial responsibility, but the principle is one of just general care and ownership of the family God has given you. And I think it's easy to interpret that when we have our own children. But I don't believe this is just necessarily applicable to our own family of blood. What about that other person in the church that you run with, that you know a lot about, that needs you sometimes in life to care for them a little bit, to be a shoulder for them to cry on, to lift them up when we're in the depths, to take them out and buy them a meal or buy them some groceries or whatever else God's leading you to do. This family is our responsibility. And so many times I think if the church stepped up and really did this kind of stuff for its own group, the federal government wouldn't have such a prob- such the problem it has. This family is our responsibility, just like your own children are your responsibility. And we as a church need to stop pointing fingers at people who we think should step up and start caring for people better. And we should step up and start caring for people better. Me. The last thing I want to say is that your family, I believe, is designed to facilitate your surrender. Your family, I believe, is designed to facilitate your surrender. I think that's true in churches with your church family. And I think that's true in homes with the family of your household. If you haven't been there already, 
Someday you're going to be to the point where you just feel like your family is more than you can handle. Okay? Uh, some of y'all ain't listening to what I'm saying because I know at least half y'all are there right now because I know all y'all. All right? At some point in time, you're going to feel like your family is more than you can handle, but that's okay because God can handle it. At some point in your life, you are going to feel like your family is more than you can handle. Your church family, your, your, your house church is going to feel like more than you can handle, but that's okay because God's got it on, hand, on lock. Someday you're going to feel like your kids, your spouse, your extended family, your aging parents, wherever you're at in that continuum, it is going to bust your tail. And you're going to feel like it's more than you can handle. But don't fear because God's got it. What do you have to do? You just got to surrender. You just got to surrender. Ephesians 5.21, Paul says that's the secret to good marriages and great families and successful ministries. Submit one to another out of reverence for Christ. Nobody's supposed to be dominant all the time. And nobody's supposed to be withdrawn all the time. It's a mutual surrender. Some wives are like elbowing their husbands right now. Bless you, ma'am. I saw that. If you surrender your family to God, it'll be easy for you to surrender any other area of your life to God. So give it to Him and let Him do what He does best. Draw people to Himself. What's the sum of all this? It's the last scripture I want to give you. This is, this is our Lord Jesus Christ here. This is going to sound familiar to you. What's the sum of it all? Like, Trent, sum it up for me. When Jesus was asked, all right, Jesus, you got all this incredible teaching. You've done all these miracles. Like, really, what's the deal? What's the most important thing? He says this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment. That's glorifying God. That's finding complete and total satisfaction in Him. In every little thing you do, right where you're at, right at that moment. And then He takes it relational. And I think it can be applied just like we've applied it. Either marriages and families or forever families by choice. He says, and then all those extra grace required people in your life that sometimes call at inconvenient times or don't have some social skills training and show up at awkward moments. All those guys you're supposed to love as you love yourself. Everything else is built on these two things. As a church, this is why we value glorifying God and why we value marriages and families. If you're hurting today, perhaps the struggle you're in is because of one of those two things. Perhaps you're seeking for satisfaction somewhere where you're never going to find it. Or perhaps you're steadily trying to do within your own family or your forever family something that only God can do. In either case, this morning, I invite you after I pray and while we sing to respond and take those first steps toward deeper surrender. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, I come before you and I'm just so grateful for this church and the things that we value. God, these are the things that are my absolute life blood and I don't get them perfect and I mess up and I make mistakes but you're right there to pick me up as long as I surrender to you God there are some people under the sound of my voice who need to surrender a little bit more my prayer is that your spirit will empower them to respond this morning and that they'll take this next moment to glorify you a little bit more in their life in Jesus precious name I pray